This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Magnan. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumoulin. And our episode this week is... Alternative to fully electric cars. Cool. Uh, but first, we have a lot of follow-up to go through. Uh, so first of all, I want to say hi to our new listeners. Uh, last episode did relatively well. Uh, it was about Japanese mobile payments and transit ticketing. And while that may seem like an incredibly niche topic, uh, if you get it out to the right people, uh, people... <laughs> get very interested. Uh, so if you decided to subscribe to the show and stick with us, thank you very much. Uh, you can check our about page at limplesspossibility.net slash about uh, for a list of our favorite episodes to get a feel for the show. Uh, so yeah, every week we have a different topic. And uh, if you're expecting more mobile payments this week, you're going to get a little bit of it in the follow-up, but uh, don't expect a full episode of that. Uh, speaking of topics in episodes, next episode, episode 159, will be about The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. So uh, if you've been playing through the game, uh, or if you want to play through the game, uh, you have two weeks to do so before the episode uh, airs. And I'm about 40% in right now, personally, uh, which is not quite as far as I hoped I would be by this point. Uh, but I will be trying to get to the end of it in time. <laughs> Yep, same here. I don't know what's the percentage completion, but again, uh, I guess the past few days have been pretty beautiful here, so I'm not in the mood to play video games. So I'll try to uh, kick myself in the poop uh, to make sure that uh, I complete the game uh, before we record. Cool. Let's get to that mobile payments follow-up. So mm. let's start off with notes from Joel from At A Distance. So first of all, big thanks to Joel. He was the one who, uh, within a couple hours of the show going up, had already listened to it, which is pretty good, and also uh, tweeted about it for other people. So thank you very much for that. Uh, and a couple days later, he wrote a response and clarification post, which addressed some of the issues I had with his previous posts that mentioned Super Suica. And I said that I wasn't quite sure what he meant by that and that it seemed to have a flexible de uh, definition and he clarified a lot of what he uh he had to say about that and now he's no longer using that word uh, he's using a word that i used in the episode which i think is pretty funny uh, so at a high level super suica was a bunch of puzzle pieces that could be combined to create what i had mentioned on the episode as being an all-in-one suica as opposed to a two-in-one suica which is what we currently have um that's what Super Suiko was supposed to be, so it was nice to have a clarification uh, about that. Uh, I think the important thing to note, though, in this case, is that this is still just a fantasy. Uh, as much in my head as it is in Joel's, uh, JR East have no publicly stated in intention to make an all-in-one Suica card. So, like, even if we have this dream goal in our mind, it's not an actual goal that has been stated anywhere so we're just fantasizing in public uh but nonetheless uh he has a really nice uh blog post explaining some of the technological underpinnings and all of that stuff that could lead to an all-in-one um so go check that link out in the show notes then felika dude uh actually listened to our show and gave me some technical information as to why Pasmo and Suica cannot live on the same card. And this makes me so sad. Ooh. I actually um I, I I actually knew this. I just didn't put the pieces together. So we actually talked about this back in October when Mobile Pasmo launched. Uh, I had linked to another blog a uh, uh, Reddit post by Felika Dude that explained the implementation details and how messy it was. And that was already explained there. Uh, the, the reason Passmo and Suica can't exist on the same card is because they share the same service code. They're both service code three. Uh, so you can't have a physical card that offers both services because they're both service code three. But their data is not compatible? No. Oh my goodness, why? <laughs> uh, why? So because of this, there, there's no way to have a physical card that has both services because then they would just be stomping on each other's data and that's not good. Uh, mobile Felica devices, uh, including the iPhone, can handle multiple cards with the same service code. However, uh, you have to choose which one to present. Uh, so it's mm. not like uh, typical Osaifu uh, Keitai, which is... You just put your phone on the sensor and it uses whichever uh, service it detects as being the correct one for the situation you're in. Uh, you can't do that because they're both service code three, so it's not going to work. So you have to choose which service code three to present ahead of time. Uh, so, yeah, that that's awkward as well if you have both cards on your phone at once. Um, 
But yeah, so that is the technical explanation. There's more detail to this. Like, there were even, like, hex dumps of Suica cards uh, posted in the thread on Twitter uh, that I could analyze and everything to see exactly how things work. Uh, but I, if you're interested in the technical details, there is stuff in the Twitter thread, and there is apparently a post coming up from Felica Dude soon, so hopefully we can mention that on a future episode once it's out, uh, that would go into further detail as to why an all-in-one Suica is not something that can happen, which... I mean, it sucks, but at least we'll understand why. Um, so we have that to look forward to. Last person who commented on the episode was Alev Tech Lift, who I believe lives in Vancouver. Uh, so it's nice to see other uh, Japanese mobile payments enthusiasts who are in Canada, because I don't think there are very many of us. Um, and their comment was that they'd like to see uh, NFCF used for driverless transit with gate tap-out systems. Uh, they mentioned specifically the TransLink SkyTrain in Vancouver because mm. the gates are slow over there and they get stuck about one-third of the time when you try to tap out uh, with EMV, which sucks. Uh, so <laughs> that would be cool. Uh, they also reminded me that uh, credit card and debit card infrastructure is not necessarily synonymous with EMV tech. And that's true. I, I was speaking mostly from a Western point of view where in most of our cases... Uh, that credit card, debit card payment infrastructure is synonymous with EMV tech. And there's a whole monopoly here uh, around that. However, in Japan, of course, there are alternatives to EMV uh, NFC tech that exist, like ID and QuickPay, uh, which are based on top of NFCF. And they have high market penetration amongst uh, credit card users over in Japan. And what I found particularly interesting is that uh, apparently the most common Ingenico uh, payment terminals, uh, which are found at Walmart Canada uh, amongst other vendors, and the newest Verifone payment terminals also have NFCF support, which is kind of cool. Hmm. Uh, so I don't actually really know that much about how ID and QuickPay work. I know that they are not compatible with anything that I have because when I see an ID logo, that means, oh shit, I can't use it. Um, but <laughs> I think if we ever do another mobile payments episode, I do want to dig into how that works. Uh, so uh, maybe if we have a part three, uh, we'll actually uh, go into that. I, I, th I, th I think you should correct yourself and not say if, but when, when we yeah. do a part three. <laughs> And might take another 150 episodes, but uh, I'm sure it will happen. Yeah. Uh, last point from Alef Tech Lift is that uh, they specified that line pay can be configured with any global Visa, MasterCard, JCB, credit or debit card and used for payments at any supported retailer, even across regions. So if we wanted to use line pay together for uh, cross-person uh, payments, I could also go to Japan and pay at retail locations using LinePay. So that is interesting. I didn't know that. Thank you very much for the follow-up. Uh, and we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Next up, uh, follow-up for episode 111, the Ginza Shibuya Axis, which was about uh, Apple approaches to the design over the years. Uh, there was a big redesigned store in Ginza recently, uh, redesigned by Jun Aoki and uh, they redesigned the Louis Vuitton store. And I sent you a picture of this earlier today. I don't know if you had the time to check yes. it out. Oh my God, this is <laughs> something. It is a kind of a wild redesign. I love it. It's a building that looks as if the walls are the surface of a swimming pool. Waves and all. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm in the camp of liking it. Oh, I love it. Uh I think it looks very... Well, I, I'm a fan of that entire like Y2K aesthetic. I think it's mm -hmm. kind of a weird fit for Ginza. I think... I mean, I guess it, it just goes to show you that we're old now and that we are now Ginza <laughs> shoppers or something because Y2K is suddenly a uh, weird Ginza luxury aesthetic for some reason. I don't know. Uh, but I'll put a link to uh, the tweet that has pictures of the store uh in the show notes. I just wanted to mention it because I saw it a couple of weeks ago and I thought it was pretty funny and awesome. Uh, last but not least, on my end, for episode 110, the tower shotgun problematic, there's a new Battle Royale game I want to talk about and that's Pac-Man 99, which was released yesterday at time of recording. Uh, Pac-Man 99, like Tetris 99 and Super Mario 35, is available as a free game for Nintendo Switch Online subscribers. And at the high level, it's a mashup of... Classic Pac-Man visuals, the gameplay from Pac-Man Championship Edition, uh, the entire series, I should clarify, 
and the Tetris 99 Battle Royale game mode. Uh, I watched Amemia stream up last year, uh, last year, last night. Uh, Amemia is currently the number one ranked Tetris 99 player in Japan. Uh, not that Tetris skill necessarily carries over to Pac-Man, but uh, I guess when you're known for playing a 99 game, you sort of now have are contractually obligated to play all of them. Uh, the games feel so much quicker than Tetris 99 or Mario 35. I'm not sure if it's because the games are actually quicker, quicker than those two uh, other games, or if it's just people haven't figured out how to survive long yet. Um, what's interesting about this game as well is, so far this is the one with the most mechanical depth and systems of all of the games. And strangely enough, the North American release has absolutely no documentation for it whatsoever. Uh, you just have to learn on the job. Whereas the Japanese website actually has some explanations of how the mechanics work, uh, <laughs> which is kind of unfair. Um, but yeah, uh, so I watched about a 20 minutes of it last night. It's pretty interesting. Uh, definitely go check it out. They're monetizing it with in-app purchases for uh, cosmetic options to customize the Pac-Man map. Uh, so you can make it look like other classic Namco games. And it's pretty interesting. Uh, I don't I don't think you've had the time to try it yet, right? I did not. Okay, so maybe we'll have more to talk about on a future episode regarding that. Uh, but just wanted to get the word out there that there's a new weird Battle Royale game for the Switch. Who knew? And that's it for my follow-up. Good. On my side, all my follow-up is regarding episode 154, The Rich Guy from California Car, which is the episode I had about two months ago where uh, I went on a journey of exploring uh, the big launches that were supposed that are planned to happen this year with electric cars in the car market. And I already have two updates. Uh, one that is uh, closer to home and the other one that is more... Uh, uh, a model that I teased mainly because uh, at, in February we didn't have that much details about it. So let's start with this one because this week GM announced with the GMC Hummer EV its SUV version. So if you may recall, uh, the Hummer EV was the new version of the Hummer as a pickup truck and as an electric vehicle. And in following what one of GM's biggest competitor in the electric pickup market, Rivian, they are also using the same foundation as an electric vehicle to build an SUV. Surprisingly enough, uh, the SUV version is less powerful and offers less range. And the main reason for that is because it is a shorter vehicle overall than its pickup truck version. So it's about 50 centimeters shorter, like, lengthwise and 23 centimeters shorter shorter of a wheel base which means also a little bit less space for the second row passengers one thing that is interesting uh, i forgot this exact detail about rivian but overall about this size of suv that it will only be a two row suv so it's quite going to, it's going to be a big vehicle usually if you had an internal combustion engine vehicle you would have options for a third row seating but not here this shorter vehicle also means that as i said why is it less powerful and less range it's because they can fit less battery packs so the uh, armor ev pickup will get uh, 24 battery packs uh, but the armor ev suvs it will be 20 battery packs or even go down as 16 battery packs if you buy the dual motor configuration. And I wouldn't be surprised in the press release that I found, they were not mentioning that uh, if there was a, a discrepancy on the number of battery pack verse between the uh, non-dual motor version from the pickup version or uh, or not. So what does it mean uh, in the day and day numbers? So we're talking about 170 horsepower or less, so where the pickup will be 100 or a thousand horsepower versus nine uh, eight thirty, and it also means about eighty kilometers less of range. Five sixty uh, goes down to four eighty two. As with the rollout period or planned as with the pickup, uh, the first version that will be available is the edition one. Of course, as you might expect, it is the most expensive version. Production will start in 2023. As what I was saying in the in the uh, previous episode, rumors were saying that, you know, we don't know exactly when they'll start building those uh, this version of the Armor EV. 
So it's about a year to two years after uh, after the launch of the pickup top because we expect the pickup to be launched in the US by the end of the year and we expect that in two years it will be the same for um, for the US market. So production in 2023 shipped as a 2024 model. And GMC will use the same commercialization scheme as with the pickup version, which means in 2023, late 2023, you'll get the edition one. So start reserving it now. And I think they've already sold out in about <laughs> two or three days. It's crazy. But maybe in 2024 and 2025, that's where you'll start to see. And they've entered that the same names will apply from the pickup version, like their model version, more or less, to the SUV version saying that the later the years are, the cheaper the model will come. Of course, to make more profit and to make the production line more, I guess, not efficient, but more profitable at first or to recoup the cost of it. They're starting with the, the, the more expensive version and maybe like 2025, 2026, that's when you'll get the, the cheaper version. Something that uh, Tesla has done in the past with the Model 3. Like to get the quote-unquote $35,000 Tesla Model 3, you had to wait three or four years versus the initial launch. So I'm so happy. I'm quite happy to see news because it was something that was entered a lot in the past few months. And like GM is already announcing it, knowing that its production might start down the road. And I, and I guess it's to kind of confirm whether people want to maybe go get a Rivian now or possibly uh, wait for uh, the styling that is quite different than Rivian for this uh, SUV. Again, uh, I say now for Rivian, they're not out yet yet, but I guess it's to build some competition. Next up, uh, the next two follow-up items are regarding uh, Volkswagen. Uh, so we've got... <laughs> The first one is about uh, one of the models that you liked uh, from our discussion, which is the ID4. And sadly, in February, we didn't get any news about the Canadian launch. Only the, the only thing I was able to say was spring. Uh, this week, there was a big press launch and also a dealership launch, which means that dealership could go, salespeople could go see the model and see how it will work. So prices will start at around $45,000 Canadian. And at first it will be available only in Quebec and British Columbia. The main reason uh, for only those two provinces is because to this date, they are the two provinces that offer the biggest government rebate. Uh, to give you an example, here in Quebec, the Quebec government gives you $8,000 plus the federal government gives you which gives you a total of $13,000 as a rebate. Uh, other provinces should start receiving units later in the year. One thing to note, though, uh, when Volkswagen officially announced uh, the ID4 a couple of months back, we knew that there will be a front-wheel drive-only version and an a all-wheel drive uh, version. Uh, currently, uh, the 45K version is this front-wheel drive uh, version there's going to be a $5,000 option, so around 50K, to get an all-wheel drive version, and that will be launched later this year. So I do expect that, yes, some of the units will get sold now when those are available uh, late spring, early uh, summer here in Quebec, but that the all-wheel drive version will be the most uh, popular one. By the way, related to that, uh, something I forgot to do as follow-up for previous episodes, uh, there was an embargo that got left about a month ago, and I'll include a couple of reviews from uh, car journalists and YouTubers reviewing the ID4. And the opinions are a bit mixed about it. It seems that uh, there are a couple of there's a couple of known flaws, uh, especially uh, regarding the uh, infotainment system and some of the charging problems. Uh, one of which was uh, that with let's say. For example, we talk about the Mustang Mach-E. You could use some of the, uh, I think it's Electrify America uh, char charger, network charger, and you just plug in your car and it knows who to charge and all that fun stuff. Surprisingly enough, like Electrify America is built by Volkswagen and the ID4 is not capable of doing that yet. So in, they did mention when that embargo got lifted a month ago in the US that don't worry, an update is coming. Same thing with a, a lot of um, bugs in the infotainment system and the navigation system. 
they were saying, you know, don't worry, like uh, there's an update, but it's in six months. So it seems to be a, of a strange uh, rollout for some of the software feature for the ID4. But overall, I think it's a good product nonetheless. Last news about Volkswagen before we move on in the food uh, full topic. Uh, and this one is a bizarre news. <laughs> it's quite strange. Uh, on March 29th, uh, Volkswagen of America, quote unquote, leaked to a lot of people, including uh, CNBC, that they were rebranding themselves from Volkswagen of America to Volkswagen. So not a K with a T uh, as with the Volt unit for electricity. And the goal for that was to make it clear that Volkswagen as a company is now fully dedicated to the electric market, that you should trust us and blah, 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 except that was a joke. So the same company that lied about these old product emission also lied about this change. So a couple of days later, they've announced, no, 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 the, the leak was fake, even if it sounded real and everybody started to make it real on the internet because Volkswagen of America were making it sound real. Uh, on March 31st, they fully backtrack and be like, no, no, uh, uh, that's not going to happen. Or still called Volkswagen. It's uh, like a weird fucked up April Fool's joke, like three days ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because one thing I wanted to note is uh, I was reading a lot of news, watching a lot of commenters on this, and somebody was saying like, either it's a somebody that fucked up the April Fool's jokes or somebody that wanted to be the first one a couple of days in advance, which could be kind of okay, kind of a stretch. Uh, but overall, that was a marketing stunt, not, uh, more or less. So I guess if you wanted to do that, you could have waited for the real day, not like kind of quote-unquote leaked it and then confirmed the leak and then confirmed the leak that is, is a marketing stunt and that should not happen. Uh, strange move from Volkswagen of America about uh, 10 days ago. And whew, that is it for follow-up for this week. That was a lengthy one. Let's move to the main topic. So as I said at the top of the show, uh, this week's topic is alternative to fully electric cars. You could consider this episode part two of episode 156, where I talk about electric cars. Um, I did say in this episode that 2021 will be a big year for electric cars. For two reasons. I think that this year is going to be uh, the year of the electric pickup truck. And that uh, quote-unquote mainstream uh, car manufacturer are getting like really pushing a lot to bring cars to the market. Um, for sure, this is a more a North American view. I know that there's way more push right happening right now in Europe. Uh, so I do hope that some things we've seen from Europe will come here. But... <laughs> sometimes it or miss so following that episode i felt and i was watching a couple of news that i was reminded that people while there's a lot of energy there's a lot of r&d there's a lot of money put into building better electric cars uh, some other companies and some other people are also investing and spending their money in different alternatives and I want to start with one that has been existing for more or less 20 years. Uh, and you say, that's an alternative? And yes, the main reason I want to start with this one is to caveat what we've been saying in the last episode, which is electric cars today, like fully electric cars, are quite expensive. So is there a way to lower my commitment while having some gains, some advantages coming from electric cars and that's why in the last 20 years we've been talking a lot about hybrid cars so if you're a bit less familiar what do i mean by an hybrid car so literally it means that it's a car with an internal combustion engine plus an electric motor and battery and they work together and then to make the car move it's just that because they combine those two technologies together the goal is to either have more power or consume less fuels. And that's where it's interesting because what we've seen, especially if I name the Toyota Prius, uh, it's kind of what I consider the first type of hybrid car that we've seen. 
and they're there to give you the benefits some of the benefits of electric car which is literally lowering your cost of fuel because in this case you consume less but the pro not a problem but the main difference with this is that the electric motor and battery plus the ice uh, engine so the internal combustion engine are working end in end the car decides everything like you don't know or you shouldn't care as the at the driver whether it's using both whether it's using one or it's using the other it is up to the car's computer to optimize for this to recharge the battery so cars we've seen early 2000s early 2010s usually those were getting better fuel economy they were not getting more performant they were like just in a way to get more efficient and rare were the ones where you would have an ev mode and what i mean by that is 100% like even if they have a tinier battery i want to use this tinier battery to just propel myself so i don't have to use fuel maybe on a short distance that's fine and that's where i feel in the past 10 years we've seen the evolution to literally plug-in hybrids and i think at this point is what i personally considered real hybrids and also a real alternative to fully electric cars today especially on the cost side so as you can as you might see the more i'll talk about those types uh different types of hybrid the more where the price increases because we're slowly but surely getting more benefits from the electric car for the fully electric car but we're not getting all of its tech or all of its capacity battery wise because as you might expect or my guess this is a lot of money is from the battery itself that you don't pay the full price so plug-in hybrids are a little bit like the same uh, as what you would consider the traditional hybrid uh, system it's just that you are able to recharge the battery that comes with your car it's not that during your usage of the car that you can reach like the your condition like when you break it will regen some electricity via the kinetic energy of the brakes like this still happens in a plug-in hybrid but it's not the only way it will do that or we'll just like let the engine run to use it as a generator to recharge battery here in this case like an electric car you can come home plug it in and that will recharge a battery and the main benefit that it gives is because they have an assumption of being able to be plugged in they usually come with bigger batteries which means that with this bigger bat uh, this bigger battery they can have a bigger electric motor which means that only the electric motor can work to propel your vehicle and by doing so it means that you still gain you still have some performance like put it in scare quotes here but you still have the same level of performance that your uh, internal combustion engine would give you by just gaming in ev mode and this ev mode in this case becomes something that you as the driver decides hey i know i'm going to work i have what 20 kilometers of autonomy with those plug-in hybrids something like that depending on which model just an example 20 20 kilometers i know my uh my commute is about 10 kilometers by forcing the car in ev mode it costs nothing to go to work and come back because i don't consume any fuel so in those cases where people drive a short distance back from these days when we more back to the grocery store and not to work right uh, but even if you were considering to go to work you might see real benefit at the end of the month or the week compared to having a fully gas-powered car so again uh, the next one that we've seen as alternatives is in the early 2010s uh, the battery tech was okay even if tesla was still ahead of everybody uh here i'm more talking about like if you think about the first gen nissan leaf those cars were uh, on average getting maybe 150 kilometers of range which was okay for um for a city commuter car but not ideal for for longer all like a long range car or just moving from city to city uh, another good example is i know yannick's family have a, a chevy sonic 
EV, which is considered more kind of a city commuter car and not kind of a long hauler uh, vehicle because its battery is also, I think, around 100 kilometers, if I recall correctly. We have a Spark, not a Sonic. Oh, oh my goodness. I, those two, they look so similar that I always confuse them. Uh, and they were sold at the same time for some random reason. Two similar cars, same shape, like super tiny. And uh, and I think the Spark also had uh, like an, a nice model, not only the electric model. It's crazy, but good. Uh, and if you comp- if you take a look at those vehicles, uh, they had main, their main problem was range. So some manufacturers, a good example is Chevy with the Chevy Volt or even BMW with the i3. They built those third type of hybrids where the uh, internal combustion engine is not directly connected to the wheels and transmission. So in the two first types I've discussed, uh, both the electric motor and the internal combustion engine are connected to the same transmission and they, give, they are able to give power to the transmission so they propel the car forward or backward. Uh, with the Chevy Volt and the BMW i3, the internal combustion engine is used as a generator. The same thing that you might have at home as a random name. I know Honda builds generator, so if you lose power, uh, it uses gas to create power. The nice thing with the Chevy Volt, it meant that you get, you get the benefits of an electric car because you can plug it in at home and you get the benefit of an internal combustion engine car because you put gas it gives you more autonomy and more range because of the uh, IC um, engine a good example too is like I said the i3 and the i3 could be a fully electric car or they were literally uh, calling the internal combustion engine as a range extender it was an option on your on your spec sheet and you could buy it with or without and if you buy it without you're stuck with the range of the battery if you buy it with uh the range extender you would get more range for this car so just to give you a perspective of the different mentality and it's quite sad because uh both of them I've I've uh, I've drove uh, Chevy Volt the second gen a couple of years when I was in California for Dub Dub I rented it and the concept is pretty nice because it drives like a normal car like like it is but you get all the benefits from an electric car and it's kind of sad to see that uh, GM stop uh, manufacturing it. I guess that now you could see that range on batteries is getting so good that you don't need to do this real hybrid mode. But I think the concept of not attaching the engine to the wheels, which means that when you drive this car, it always acts up like an electric car. The problem is with a Prius, whether it's a plug-in hybrid Prius or a traditional hybrid, is when they decide or when you decide to put it in AV mode, they act like an EV car, like an EV, if you, if they're using both the electric motor and the internal combustion engine, they kind of act like an internal combustion engine car. So you kind of get the worst of both cases. They kind of get the the downsides of an electric car, which is noisy and shaky and all that stuff. And you kind of get the lower range of an EV. So today, this is what I considered the cheapest way to get certain types of electric vehicle experience depending on the model you choose and there's different types uh, i think i think if you look right now there's the there's now uh, compared to what 10 15 years ago where there was one prius from toyota now you can get multiple priuses uh, there's a kind of a lineup of vehicle under the prius name and depending of where you are in the lineup, you have different hybridization technology, which is interesting because it meant that the older, the more traditional hybrid technology that Toyota pioneered are still available to consumers and they are cheaper than what they were 10, 15 years ago while still bringing the same uh, the same benefits. And now they're slowly but surely also improving the way the electric car improves means that those plug-in hybrids are also improving which is quite interesting. And overall, the, the, the kind of the moral of the story with hybrids, and I felt that I should have, the reason I bring them up today is I felt, 
had a lot, to, a lot of cards to talk about in the last episode, but I felt that I should have talked about hybrids because the same way electric cars have evolved in the past 10-15 years, hybrids has also evolved greatly. And depending on what you do with your car, hybrids can be your answer for today because if we look at the big picture, um, I've talked a lot about price, but producing electric car currently might not be the best thing for the environment. Um, fully electric cars, building a lot of our lithium-ion batteries, uh, use a lot of rare metals. And the processes right now, because of scale too, is means that per each car produced, the pollution part of the like production plan is higher for one car compared to if you build like Honda Civics for the, the, the last 20 years and there's like 100,000 cars coming out of the plan every day. I'm big, making big numbers just to <laughs> give you a different perspective. But the idea is with ICE car, I think we're good. We're finding ways to make them less polluting while we build them. But we know that the outcome the, the the main place or the main moment where they'll pollute the most is when you use them not when you, not when you create them or you build them and that's the inverse with an electric car today the more electric cars will build the get better at this will be and again uh if we fall if we trust tesla's numbers they get even them they are getting better at this because they are also trying to build carbon neutral uh, plants my point for this is depending on the usage you will do with the car, a hybrid might make more sense environmentally speaking because depending on the commute you need to do, it might make more sense if 90% of the time you just go to work on electric and the 10% of the time that you need to do a long range, then you have your internal combustion engine. Another example of that could be like, you have a spark EV that you only use at home and you can also rent a car. So the, the hybridization could be for those type of people too, where you don't have the money to buy a, like a Tesla or any other cars that I discussed in the past that are in the $60,000, range and up. Not in the 30, 35, 40 Canadian dollar, US dollars, they're more or less the same thing. Uh, not parity, but for car prices, where you can get something that works for your need while also lowering, like lowering your environmental damages, if we can call it this way. And I think I, I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes. You'll have two, uh, one from the ID4, but from uh, Jason Svensky from Engineering Explained on YouTube. And he showed a great example where this premise was to say, is a Toyota RAV4, which is a small SUV that is a plug-in hybrid. So it's a Toyota RAV4 Prime. Is it better for the environment to buy this car versus buying the equivalent Model Y or Ford Mustang Mach-E fully electric car? And surprisingly enough, depending on the yearly mileage you do today, it might be yes or it might be no. Because electric cars, fully electric cars, the more you drive them, the less they pollute. Because the more you offset the, uh, the like the 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 more you offset the carbon created when they are built versus an an internal combustion engine will always continue to pollute because it pollutes sadly by burning gas. Yeah, it's fixed cost versus recurring costs. Just like you're correct. Basic economics. <laughs> yes, which brings me to. Two things. The first one is because of fixed costs versus recurring costs, plenty of government are acting or in, in enacting laws. And I'll put it in big scare quotes again, like I love to do, because even like with car manufacturers that we know and somewhat love, some we do love, some other, like they, they sound more like kind of a political statement and not action same thing with a uh, car manufacturer like we, we believe their commitment to electricity <coughs> volkswagen <laughs> when we see products in the market in the past two or three years governments started to say we will ban the sale of new petrol or diesel cars as early as 2013 and 2030 is 
Nine years. It's coming up. Yeah, yeah. It made sense when some of those rules and laws and ideas were kind of thrown at the population 18 months ago, like before the pandemic. But if you think about it, now we kind of, quote unquote, I don't want to lose this word strongly, but lose lost a year, right? I feel that a lot of people won't be ready when that will happen, including car manufacturer. Just to give you a couple of ideas. In the UK, it's 2030 for internal combustion engine cars. Hybrids will be 2035. Uh, the EU, the co- province of Quebec and California will be 2035 for uh, internal combustion engine cars. And it seems that I haven't seen too much from the federal, our federal government in Canada, but they seem to have entered that 2040. So we need to start thinking about what are the other options? Because... If I have an elect, uh, internal combustion engine car today, should I just go trash it and then buy an hybrid or an electric car? And that's where possibly there's other options for people. They might not be viable yet, but I feel some of them are interesting. And the first one is, what if we can make petroleum renewable? And that one is quite interesting because as we said, the recurring cost of burning gas and diesel is the main reason why internal combustion engine cars pollute. There was a recent push uh, from a couple of months ago uh, by Porsche, uh, which is to talk about, can we create petroleum in a renewable fashion? And also, when you burn it, it emits less carbon monoxide and less, less pollu- pollution. And they, seems to, they seem to have figured out something that they call e-fuel. Uh, so it is a synthetic fuel that is built with hydrogen and carbon monoxide. And you're like, carbon monoxide? Isn't it what we're trying to get to lower? It's like, yeah, they figure out by combining and... Okay, I'm bad at physics, so please be patient with that. But I think it's that, chemistry technically, but... See, uh, uh, that fits too. Uh, I we had the same dis- teacher. I understand your concern, your trouble <laughs> with learning. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And let me tell you, I'm sure people that are really like passionate about physics and chemistry will utterly despise our high school teachers because they made me dislike those two uh, topics greatly. Same. So, so that's life. Uh, but again, I'm sorry if I make mistakes about chemistry. You might be more correct. But the idea here is by combining, uh, funnily enough, because we'll be talking about hydrogen too uh, later in this episode, by the same process where you can extract hydrogen out of other elements in the wild, they're using the same process for yes, producing hydrogen, but also to take hydrogens and carbon monoxide and build synthetic, uh, I forgot to write it, but another... Uh, excuse me, synthetic methanol. And by having methanol, they can refine it the same way we refine methanol we found in the ground, which means you can create synthetic gas, synthetic diesel, in theory. And that's where they're looking at. The main reason why Porsche is investing in this is to make their racing division greener. And that, I think, is interesting. Uh... Because... We've seen a lot and we always hear like, oh, F1 tech, like we like when car manufacturers <laughs> invest in F1 because tech always gets down to the cars. And if you think about it, I think it's in two years or I don't follow F1 closely, but like F1s, like a lot of our cars these days, have smaller engines with turbo, which yes, produce more power, supposedly consumes less fuel. People, I agree with most people say that's not really true, but... A lot of the technology we found in our cars today started somewhere high in the eye of the chain, which is like R&D, racing. Because if it, it, is, if it is good for racing, at some point it makes, makes it down to so, some tech is also good for driving on the road. And the idea here is even if Porsche is starting to push they're part of the Volkswagen group so they're pushing they're pushing hybridization they are also pushing fully electric car with the take the Taycan that we t- discussed in previous episode they have a racing division and he seems to say 
they're not ready to go fully electric for this or they might not not believe into that that fully electric racing is uh, something but another thing that uh, i don't i don't think they've said porsche directly but uh, some journalists and commentators were saying regarding porsche's involvement into e-fuel with company like simmons is that porsche as a car company yes they want you to buy their new car but they're being a good car manufacturer at maintaining classics. Like there's a huge following of car enthusiasts that still have, let's say, a 1964 Porsche, Porsche 911 that is still running, that is still maintained. And if you think about it, if it works for their car racing division to make them greener, this e-fuel, if is becoming more like market feasible could also be used to keep current ice cars on the road and pollute less they will never pull like this solution is not a like carbon neutral solution yeah but it is maybe a of course numbers i've seen is a 50 60 percent less so it could mean that certain cars that we have today could survive longer with product like this and this is what i find utterly interesting about e-fuel is that its compatibility with current cars is more or less you pull it in the same way you go to like let's imagine that you would have some in your city you would have a yes a specific gas station but it gets liquefied like gas so you just fill it in it takes two or three minutes you have a full tank of gas and what Porsche has been experimenting with Simmons is more or less to say that it uses the same internal combustion engine technology. You don't need to modify your current cars. And again, we haven't seen too much yet. So I think that was a grain of salt, even if I'm super excited about this tech, because even if it's like minimal adjustment, you change the some of the components that like that takes care of the fueling system of your car. It's not it's not buying a new car. It's it's if I go back to the triple R's of the environment, like reduce, reuse, and recycle, we're still at re- reuse. And the idea in this is really to never go to recycle or to minimize the moment you go to recycle because recycle is the most expensive thing in the process of uh, this reuse, reduce, reuse, and recycle. So again, if you have a Porsche, you might should have reduced something. <laughs> not making a judgment on that, but... At least if you can reuse and keep cars alive for possible car enthusiasts. But even if you think about it, it could bring life for millions of cars for, for, for the cause of millions of people. So to me, I'm eager to see what is going to be the process for this because or what we'll see in the coming years for that. Um, Porsche was talking, I think it's 130 million liters in 2022 they want to produce. Uh, of course... Uh, these processes to uh, build the synthetic fuel with hydrogen and carbon monoxide uh, requires a lot of energy. Of and course. <laughs> they are opening a plant in Chile, if I recall correctly my notes. I forgot to write, down, write that down, but somewhere in South America because they have a lot of winds there so they can install wind turbines and uh, build it with green energy. So the idea smart. is you will be able to combine your hydrogen and your carbon monoxide. And we guess what? We have a lot of carbon monoxide around us right now. <laughs> and then you would use a green energy to create it, which means that, yes, even if at the end uh, it creates a bit more carbon monoxide by being burnt, uh, you are producing it in a greener way. So I think car enthusiasts like me should really keep an eye on this tech and some of car enthusiasts also includes Porsche customers because I think this is really interesting to see how can we keep our ice car for longer because I think one of the journalists I've watched and I have a link in the show notes is uh, Rory Reed from uh, Top Gear fame and now he's at uh, Auto Ebdo UK if I recall correctly. Uh, he was saying in his uh, YouTube video about that, that's, you know, like a lot of people are investing in cars in the past 10 years. There's a lot of speculation in the used car market for Porsche, Ferraris, all that fun stuff. What will happen to all of those people that like I've been speculating and investing a lot of money when those cars are just kaput because there's no more gas or 
it's illegal to sell gas because we want to lower the carbon monoxide. People will freak out, and that's where uh, poor people like uh, companies like Porsche are trying to invest into that. I, I find that entire notion funny because speculation is literally gambling. I mean, you should expect right. that eventually you're going to lose. It's just, it's a matter of time when. I mean, the same thing is true for Magic Cards probably. Like, it's, I don't know, it's weird. Uh, wh- what I found really interesting about the whole e-fuel thing is it reminds me a lot of putting an SSD in a computer that had a hard drive and how that can make a massive difference. I mean, like in this case, it's not exactly one for one because you're, we're comparing like an SSD, you have very noticeable performance enhancements, right. whereas here we're talking about environmental enhancements, which are not mm-hmm. going to be necessarily as noticeable, but it does extend the life of the device in both cases. And I think that's a really interesting approach to pres- maybe not preserving, but lengthening the lifespan of uh, existing vehicles on the road. Now, if I put on my grandpa's conspiracy theorist hat for a little second, <laughs> uh, my grandpa would probably say that the car companies are going to kill this because it's going to destroy sales of their new electric cars, which are probably going to be more expensive than what they people already have. Uh, and I can definitely see a scenario where that is true. I think Porsche is sort of in this unique position because of their whole maintaining classics thing, which is not mm-hmm. something that I think very many other brands do. Uh, so it's going to be nice to see if like anyone gets shot over this or something. <laughs> Right, and it's funny because um, in my research, they were saying that it's not the first time in the recent maybe five or ten years that people are like companies are looking into that. I think uh, another like a sister company to Porsche, Audi, in the mm. Volkswagen Auto Group, I've been looking into that, and I think maybe they killed it. I think they were talking also about McLaren for their race division too, uh, to make it greener. So again, we'll see if it anything comes out of that. Uh, but you're correct that uh, the same way some conspiracy theorists, let's call them this way, were saying that electric cars were killed in the 80s and 90s because we know electric technology has been existent for years in the car industry, but that people were investing a lot in Shell and all of those big companies and they want them to be profitable and make a shit ton of money. So we let's kill an electric car because it will kill the the gas producing company. So I've heard that too a lot and the recent one, and there's a lot of uh, good um, good documentaries that uh, predates um, the recent 10 years of electric cars or that is more or less starting like 28, 2008, 2011 who uh, which is called uh, who kills the electric car and this is talking a lot about uh, gm's ev1 product that was launched at the uh, turning of the century so a quick suggestion on that uh, regarding your comment about uh, companies like porsche to sell to uh, car enthusiasts and classic enthusiasts that's also a good way to upsell their with products uh, we've talked about porsche yeah. in the past about uh, bringing their own like Porsche, a genuine look, uh, radio CarPlay system to older cars. Yeah. We've discussed that those uh, third, not third-party radio, but the uh, OEM radios were quite expensive compared to the third-party solutions. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised that you'll pay your quite your big amount of gold to get access to some e-fuel if it were to come uh, a reality. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if that recurring cost is worth it or if electric cars have gone down in price enough when that time comes. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the risk I see with the whole 2030 thing is what if we say, okay, you can't buy cars that are not electric anymore, not hybrid anymore, but the prices don't come down to match people. It's just going to be right. a weird feel bad if your car dies and then you have no real viable options. Uh, I do also want to note that uh, Japan has announced that uh, something similar. I believe they only said mid 2030s they haven't fixed the date yet uh mm-hmm. but uh i believe that's why subaru has been starting to look uh, more seriously into electric recently is because they have a deadline to look forward to now right 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 and they don't really have even like their uh, hybrid product of the past were really not so great uh something like you pay five thousand or more for five to ten thousand dollars more for the uh, hybrid version and it gives you like 0.5 of a liter uh, better fuel economy on 100 kilometers like that was not worth the initial investment 
Uh, I've, I know one of their car is popular here, uh, the Crosstrek. Uh, just got a new plug-in hybrid version, uh, which is quite expensive. Again, more into the $40-$50 50k range here, but I'm really eager to see reviews on this one because it seems that it's using new hybrid tech, which makes it what could which could mean it fixes the issue of the previous hybrids that we uh, super had, which is they're more efficient. <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, the last topic I want to discuss is hydrogen because I mentioned it a lot and I recall. Being in elementary school and visiting our local university, mm-hmm. uh, so the Université of Trois-Rivières is well known for its hydrogen department in Canada. Um, it's right next the to the bus terminal, the new one. It, it is, that's true. Uh, and even the old-ish one too, because... I, yeah, you drove past it. Yeah, yeah you, you do. And it's funny because I recall... Yeah, that was maybe turn of the century again. Uh, there was a big push for BMW where they work with that university to bring an hydrogen base 5 series as the concept of <laughs> hydrogen is the future. And some of our US listeners might recall that the US government in the turn of the century was also like, hydrogen is the future. Let's invest in it. And nothing happened out of it. I'm not going to give reason why not anything happened out of it, but I want to kind of revisit what do we mean? How will hydrogen be used for cars? So hydrogen, as I said a bit in our synthetic fuel discussion, hydrogen is one of the main elements in chemistry. Uh, and for some chemistry reasons, uh, it is an element that is present everywhere in the world, but is always combined with something else. Uh, so it's always combined with another element, and the best example is water. So H2O means two atoms of uh, hydrogen and one of water of, of oxygen. Uh, yeah, and to get this hydrogen back, you need to separate it. And this process, there's different version of extracting hydrogen of other elements is always energy intensive and even today because hydrogen is used a lot in the industries not only in the car industries a lot of the processes we use today is we use fossil fuel natural gas or even worse coal as the source where we want to look for hydrogen so we and to power this transformation it always also uses a lot of electricity or energy which is also being powered by fossil fuel or natural gas or cold so it means that to get hydrogen out of but multiple molecules uh, you need to consume a lot of you need to emit a lot of co2 emissions because you're burning a lot of shit more or less while extracting hydrogen out of water might be the kind of greenest solution it also needs and requires a significant amount of electricity and the only way to make it the green extraction is to not make it from fossil fuel and that's also why when you see all these processes is that you always need to use either hydroelectricity which it's kind of considered green but not green because it uh you uh you flood a lot of uh, land because of that but again for the sake of this conversation, let's consider it green or you use wind or you use sun. And you need to put those hydrogen extraction plants in region where there's a lot of wind because it needs to produce a lot of electricity for it to happen. So a lot of people are working on that and we are finding ways to uh, more or less Build, not extract hydrogen in a greener way and this is always going back to some of the previous argument of this episode is the more we invest in it the bigger scale we build and the better we'll be at let's assume for the sake of this conversation just to see the journey of what we need to do to have an hydrogen car so let's assume that we are able today to extract hydrogen using uh processes that uses yes out of energy but we're able to power it with uh, green electricity we still have a distribution problem because the way hydrogen is usually either uh, liquefied or even uh, transported as on the as a gas form uh, the constraints are not the same like if and if you want to transport it as gas you need to pressurize it quite heavily uh, so you need to have specific equipment and all that fun stuff and to transport it to 
quote-unquote hydrogen stations, the same way you might have a gas station, you need to figure this distribution problem. Uh, they've been some, there have been some experiments, and I think some of them are from Shell themselves, uh, where the hydrogen is produced at the hydrogen station that is used to fill up your car, which that is interesting, but causes the inverse problem. If you're not able to find or to place them in a location where it's convenient for people to use, or if you place them in a place where it's convenient for people to use, excuse me, it might not be the best convenient place to produce hydrogen because you might not have green electricity, or it might not be a region, uh, yeah, it might not be a region where you can produce green electricity, nor can it be a place where you can also store it easily. If it's in the middle of a city, while hydrogen is quite uh, energy dense, it still needs big tanks, sadly. It's, it's not as energy dense as gas. So we need to upgrade all of that fun stuff and we need to distribute it. And the same way, uh, the same way you can try to do economy of scale by building big power, not power plant, but hydrogen plants, uh, you lose that by having like mini plants in throughout your city, which might be more convenient for people, uh, try to solve your distribution problem, but might cost more in the end because smaller plants. So overall, I think the problem again with the hydrogen is still that same way with gas, we're used to get ga- uh, to to use gas and if you think about it i don't have the exact number uh, on comparing the energy used to extract gas and we could and i think we're currently stuck into the loop of like we need gas to extract gas or at least we're good at this uh <laughs> that it is it bigger and slower for hydrogen hydrogen but the problem is because we don't have too much they are seeing needs. We do have needs for hydrogen because we use it in a lot of different places, but not at the same level as if we were to replace it for fuel. It means that the economy of scale is struggling to happen. At least in the past recent years, there are car companies that are investing in that. I recall this example of BMW. I think they've stopped a long time ago. But throughout the years, uh, Toyota has been looking a lot at hydrogen car. So in California, you can buy... Um, one of their specific model that has been for a couple of years now on the market that is using hydrogen. Uh, and again, the main reason why nobody buys it is because I think there's like three hydrogen stations in the whole California state. Uh, but there are some models from Toyota, Hyundai, and Honda. So again, all of this is, is if people put their energy there, uh, possibly we'll see economy of scale because what is interesting uh, for hydrogen compared to battery power cars is that hydrogen can, in the bigger concept, is a bit like fuel. Is You put it in your car and you store energy there versus when you take your electric car, you need to have energy from energy created somewhere else that is just stored in batteries. Hydrogen is transform inside your car via fuel cell and not just kind of consume like a battery which is already electricity created so this is the concept of making it more renewable not in the sense of environment but it's easy to like you give more hydrogen and then you create more electricity when your battery is depleted there's nothing you can do to get more range than just recharging that's one of the advantage that is related to hydrogen i think that's why it's still always on top of people's mind for uh, the car industry is because a lot of the current habits we've built with gas-powered cars still applies it takes more or less five five minutes to re to refuel it doesn't change too much how it drives Uh, and now people are getting used to electric cars so they get literally the best of the board of both worlds they get the driving experience, which is different than an internal combustion engine. And they get the refueling of an internal combustion engine. They get the range, but they get the different electric field, the instant torque. They get the silent and they get no emission because the processes of transform uh, of getting electricity out of hydrogen is to retransform it. And then usually means the uh, the main output of that process is water. So you have a small water tank that needs to be emptied a couple after a couple, maybe I think it's a couple of hundred miles 
It's a big dehumidifier. <laughs> more or less, yes, more or less. Again, my chemistry and physics teacher right now are like kind of like, I think I don't wish they're dead, but they may. Let's say they roll in their own grave or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I kind of tried to stay as much. It's funny because even researching, I was like, okay, I found places where people are talking about too much physics and chemistry, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> let's ignore that. Um, but sadly, that for those types of problem while having future and kind of like solving a problem there's still a lot at the research and development phase and i kind of wish that we will i hope that we see uh improvement to those because yes i see improvements for the electric car but the way we currently produce batteries is still not a new re- uh, done in a renewable fashion we still rely on lithium ion batteries mainly uh, or even worse, and depending on some cases, and they always rely on rare materials, rare metals, and those needs to be extracted from the land and the earth, and we don't do that in a good way. Uh, and at some point, we'll run out of them too, even if we recycle them. Uh, there's a limit. Uh, there's a, a finite amount of rare metal on our planet, so we should not consume it all, and we should find different ways. And I think that's why hydrogen is always talked about because it's everywhere. We have a plenty of it, and it's more or less renewable the way we can have it. Yeah, and battery disposal and uh, recycling isn't perfect either. It's just kind of a a shitty situation in general. So, right, and. He, here in the example of uh, like we're mainly focusing on like on what is called fuel cell where you take hydrogen you do another like chemistry reaction and it gives you electricity and then the output is water but also certain technology uh, center companies also looked at can we power a nice car with hydrogen and by consuming like by burning hydrogen and yes there's benefits and downsides to that but one of the main downside is it still emits some not not too much CO2 uh, emissions, but uh, NOx, NOx, depending on the number of combinations you have. But uh, and those emissions are really, 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 really disastrous for the environment. Yeah. Um, so people are looking at different opportunities, and to not, uh, to this week, that's why I wanted to look at those two because I do hope that even if we're making great progress with electric cars that those technologies will also see progress in the years to come and that's it cool so if you want to find more information on the topic you can go to limitlesspossibility.net slash 158 you can also find all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net the show is on twitter at limipo underscore podcast that's l-i-m-i-p-o underscore podcast I am on Twitter, and so is Nicolivier. I'm at Sakurina, that's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A, and you can find Nicolivier at Luconoche, that's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.